0: Om namo narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vitya Bad Meinberg near Hannover in Germany. Ramanandam, Rama kevalam yana murtim, donvatitam kenganesa drisham, tat tamasya dilaksham, ekam nityam Vimalamachalam, Sarvadi sarvadisa Bhavatitam, titam rahitam sadgurum tam namami narayanam padmabhavam vashishtam shaktim citat putra parasarancha vyasam su kum go govinda yogindramatasya Sri shri shankaracharya matasya padma padam chastam tam tato dikambara asmad gurum shantatam anato shmihi vishvam darpanadishya TULYAM nagari tuliyam nijantam pasyan atmani mayaya vaihoryavat yatani draya Yasakshat Kurute prabodha samaye swatmaname VADVAYAM Tasmai shri Guru Murtaye Namayidam Sri Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Om Sarasiva Samaram Bham Shankara Charyamadyamam Asma Vande Guru Param Param Ishvara Meti Murti Beda Vibhagine Vyom Vadvyapta Dehaya, Dakshinamurtaye Namaham. Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta, Gocharam Tama Gocharam, Govindam Paramanandam, Sadgurum Pranato Smiham, Om, Sri Krishna, Narayana, Govinda, Paramatmanayi. Good. We're in chapter twelve. Sorry we got sidetracked last night. But we'll try to catch up today and and uh, see what he says. The big the big topic to to uh, the big topic to deal with is uh Triguna Vibhava Yoga and that's coming up. Most of the other topics we've covered pretty well. And, uh, but the Triguna Vibhava Yoga is a a really important topic, and so we're going to cover that today. In any case, we're on, uh, in chapter 12, I think we're on like verse 18 or 19, was it? Something huh? This this is the, uh, again, these are just. Uh, this is just a checklist. If you think you're enlightened, if you think you're free, if that's what you, if you believe that, and you're, then you check and see if uh, if these, uh, if you qualify as far as these statements are concerned. See if it's if this is true for you. And if not, then there's maybe a little more work to be done. Uh, that's a, that's the only purpose of this. They came up with these qualifications because uh, th- these these are signs of a realized person, and the signs of a realized persons are actually the qualifications. <laughs> they came up with the qualifications because they discovered that all realized people had these particular qualities, these particular attitudes. They're discriminating, dispassionate, and so forth. And they're <laughs> all related to the world and to their own desires in, a, in the same way. Whereas samsaris, people who don't know who they are, always relate to the world in a different way and relate to themselves in a different way. So it wasn't that hard to figure out uh, what the qualifications are? It's not, no, these are not arbitrary qualifications that were cooked up by some religion or something. You have to believe in, in you know, Joseph Smith of the uh, whatchamacallit before you can join the Mormon church or whatever it is. It wasn't like arbitrary con- uh, uh, qualifications. It just based upon the, uh, observation of the difference between enlightened people and regular people. And so, you know, these are things you can... If they're true about you, then you're enlightened. And if they're not, then this is what you get to work on. So, simple. Uh, The one who treats enemies and friends alike, why does he or she do that? Because he sees them all as what? Consciousness. Sees the self there only. Understands the mitya part but knows the mitya part, the personality and the ego and all that, knows that is what? An apparent reality. It's not the real person. That the real person is that beautiful, shining, spiritual awareness that enlivens the body and mind. And so it treats, you know, friends and enemies the same. It's a tough one. It means his or her likes are, dis, are what? Are neutralized by this knowledge. If you if your friend and your enemy, you treat them the same, it means you don't have any friends and enemies. That's what it means. You see, huh? You, you've removed that like and dislike in you, and you see only the self shining in that person. Uh, success and failure, same problem. Why? Why? Because he knows that life's a zero-sum game, on the one side, that for every gain there's a loss, so there's nothing to gain outside. And and he's already what? Successful. This person is already successful, so there's no failure for him. So things can go bad for that person and they still feel successful because they've accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished. They've, they've fulfilled the purpose of taking this human birth. The purpose of this human birth is to what Set yourself free. Now, we know that because uh, if you observe every activity of a human being, is what? An attempt to remove a sense of limitation. That's a fundamental premise on which this uh, teaching is based. By observing human beings, we discover that everything they do is an attempt to remove a sense of simil- sense of li- of limitation, in whatever way. And and therefore, what it's concluded that everybody wants what freedom. So this person is free, and therefore, what there's no nothing, no more success. He doesn't he or she doesn't have to succeed in in any worldly accomplishment, and he doesn't have to succeed in what. Any inner accomplishment, he's done it all. And those people are totally relaxed. They're ready to li- they're ready to leave this earth. They enjoy it while they're here, and that's it. So, heat and cold sees them the same, and stands free of objects. Doesn't mean there aren't objects in this person's life. It means that what he or she doesn't lean on those objects for support. Why? because self not you're self-supporting. <laughs> you stand on your own. You don't need any crutches. You don't need any objects, any people or situations or security or money or something to stand up and be happy and be yourself. You stand on yourself alone. Those who are disciplined in speech, they're careful about what they say. One, they don't want to injure anybody else. And two, they don't want to create trouble for themselves. (laughs) A lot of people that have karmic problems uh, feel that they need to be really honest and say exactly what they feel. Big problem. Don't do it. If somebody asks you what you really feel, you know how people say, what do you really think? Meaning they want to hear all this negative stuff? Huh? That's what they, they really want to hear. Then tell them. And then they'll say, please, I didn't want you to tell me what you really think. Huh? Make sure you're spe- these people, they speak in a pleasant way. Huh? Their speech is helpful. And they huh? Because they don't want to injure themselves and they don't want to injure their own mind by what? By creating a backlash that will disturb themselves, they don't violate dharma. We call it vaktapas. It's probably the most, one of the most important spiritual practices you can do, is to monitor your speech. Be careful. Don't speak impulsively. Speak deliberately. Before you speak, huh, think about the impact of what you're saying on that person. And it won't be hard to figure out if you're negative and in a bad mood that, that the words you, that you're speaking will have a negative impact on the other person and will create a bad mood for them. Just a fact. And you say, oh, I'm just being honest. Well, no. <laughs> Compassion trumps honesty in every case. Be kind. Be polite. Be friendly. These are cultured people enlightened people, the thinking of other people Uh, they're satisfied with whatever comes somebody said, you know that Ishwar gives you everything you need and these people, what? and not everything you want, obviously you've got everything you need, but you want things that you, you don't need probably in fact, most of the things we want are gratuitous we really don't need them at all Particularly in our cultures, uh, our desires, our, 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 want, our, our wants have just become luxuries, our luxuries, our needs have become, lu- our luxuries have become our needs, let's put it that way. Luxuries have become needs for us. And, and this person, what does he want? He or she only wants what he has, what he needs. He knows Ishwara will give you what you need and that's all you want, is what you need you don't want what you want because right? you know what nothing can fulfill you nothing can complete me and what and love of god they they're totally devoted to what the truth to ishwar to the self those who faithful those faithful ones who whose lives are in harmony with dharma and whose lives are centered on me are exceedingly beloved to me that means you like yourself when you follow dharma these crazy wisdom gurus? Huh? I don't know. Do you, do, are they popular here in Germany? Maybe you don't even know what the crazy wisdom gurus are, huh? No? No, you don't really know. Crazy wisdom, that was a really famous uh, uh, phenomenon in the spiritual world for a long time. It's not not so uh, big a, uh, a phenomenon anymore. And that's the guru who... Uh, <clears throat> Who violates Dharma and tells them that they're teaching you how, huh, uh, what freedom is. That freedom is the what? Is the freedom to break Dharma. And therefore, they, they try to at least take money from you, they try to get in bed with you, they lie to you, they cheat, and so forth. And, they, and, and you say, well, you lied and cheated for me. You say, well, that's good for you, because I'm teaching you how it is to be free, so you can break every rule. And so there's a whole bunch of those gurus, particularly in the 70s and 80s, who broke dharma right and left. Hmm? And, they, and they, they were unapologetic. And they said, no, we're doing it for you. I'm stealing your money because you shouldn't have the money because you're attached to the money. So that's... huh I'm sexually molesting you because you're sexually hung up and you need to be freed of your sexual hang-ups. Yeah. Huh? It's called crazy wisdom, yeah. and uh, yeah, oh yeah, it's really big. A lot of uh, s- some of the most famous gurus came crashing down as a result of this idea. So he's saying here, these people, if e- these people follow dharma, they have nothing to gain by breaking dharma. <laughs> See, that mean, what that means is. These people are full of desire. They're so their their desires are so strong hmm, that they're willing to break the rules to get what they want. And then and then rather than admit that hey I've just got these strong needy needs and desires they say they say no this is a sign of freedom. Uh, this is to teach you how it is to be free. You know, can you believe that thousands and thousands of people actually believed that and subjected themselves to abuse at the hands of these gurus? Thousands, tens of thousands. Still going on today, not so big anymore. People are more sophisticated. But So that's why he points out here. If you've got a teacher that's cutting corners, uh, walk away. Cutting corners means not to straight stand up person, not an honest, decent, kind person who is morally correct, who lives a really pure life. If you got any kind of teacher other than that, you should move on. Oh, that's the idea. <clears throat> okay, chapter 13. This is a big chapter, important chapter. It's the same idea we've had all along, but it uh, <clears throat> it's the essence of yana yoga. It's the essence of discrimination. Vedanta includes bhakti and what? And karma, but, the, and jnana. Everybody has bhakti, everybody has desire for something, has what? Love for something, and, and puts their energy into that, whatever it is. Uh, if you're going for moksha, you have, desi- you need to what? Dedicate your actions, then you need to meditate on Ishwara. And then you need to what? And the third stage is what? Set yourself free by contemplating or discriminating the self from the not-self. So this is the final stage. That's why it's in the end of the Gita. It's also taught, in the eighth chapter, we explain this carefully. And I worked that this subject-object prakriya on you. And this is the same thing with different name, the subject and the object. The knower and the known. Arjuna said, what is the field and what is the knower of the field? Well, the field is what? Any object that presents itself to you. That's the field. I call it the Dharma field because it's a field of laws and rules. So that's Ishwara too. It's the field. <laughs> From Ishwara to on down is the field. And what is the knower of the field? What is the knower of the field? Consciousness. What is the means of knowledge? Vedanta. And what is to be known? Awareness. That I'm whole and complete is what is is to be known. Remember, all this boils down to one simple thing. I'm whole and complete. I'm okay. I'm okay as a self and I'm okay as a person. That's all it boils down to. <laughs> if you understand that and you really have total confidence in that, then you're fully enlightened. I'm fine. I don't need anything. I don't need to fix anything. I don't need to get anything. I'm fine. I'm fine as a person and I'm fine as awareness. So that's all, all it's to be known. Don't think, oh, it's some mystical thing, some incredible thing or whatever. No, it's just that. It's a simple fact about yourself. I'm fine. I love myself. The world's good. Everything's great. I know it doesn't seem right, does it? <laughs> but hey, if you have that feeling, what? all this chasing things will stop, won't it? All this seeking for something, it'll stop if you're okay, if you see that you're okay. Trying to fix yourself. I mean, that was my objection to the, the rebirthing and these techniques, is, 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 is that you're trying to fix yourself. Now, you know, that idea that you're trying to fix yourself means what? That you don't think you're okay. But on the basis of what do you think you're not okay? Why do you think you need fixing? It's just, a, it's just an unfortunate self-judgment that you picked up from mom and pop and the society and the government and all, wherever. Who knows where you got this idea that you're not all right? So you, you do all these things and to fix yourself, and what are you actually doing? You're, all you're doing, every time you get fixed, then, you, then what? Then you see, well, there's more that needs to be fixing, which means what? You still haven't seen that what? What's driving you is the feeling that you're not okay. And, and why do you trust that feeling? Why? 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 Huh? Why can't you just as well uh, trust the statement of the scripture that you are okay? If if you take the stri- scripture's point of view that you're okay, that you're fine, huh? How are you going to feel? You're going to feel great. If you take your opinion <laughs> of who you are, you're going to feel lousy. Huh? <laughs> It's mine. <laughs> it's mine. I told you that a story about my friend, yeah. huh? It's warm and mine. Yeah, it's warm and it's mine. <laughs> huh? Yeah. yeah. Krishna said, "This body is matter, and it's called the field. The self-awareness is the knower of the field. I am the knower. I am the knower of the body and all bodies. Why does he say all bodies?" Because it includes Ishwara. Ishwara is all bodies, and what? My body is Jiva. So that's why it's including. I'm the knower of Ishwara, all bodies, and I'm the knower of my body. My body is just one of all the bodies. So if you know Ishwara, if you accept Ishwara, you can see everything is Ishwara, then that means you accept yourself as part of Ishwara. And you're fine. You know that whatever impurities are in me, it belongs to Ishwara because you didn't create any of those impurities nobody huh nobody created these negative things for themselves if you yeah nobody in their right mind makes themselves miserable consciously <laughs> do they and if they do it's just what they get pleasure out of it they're perverted. May be warm, but it's it, it may be shit, but it's warm and it's mine. Right? They're perverted. Right. So, and what does he say now? What's the definition of enlightenment, of freedom? This is very important because a lot of people think you know a lot of people think that this doesn't exist. You've heard that teaching? huh? The world is empty. It doesn't exist. There's nothing there. huh? That's a very, very popular common teaching. So that means what? I don't need to know that because it doesn't exist. I can't know it because it doesn't exist. So all I need to do is know this and then I'm free. That's the idea. Well, that's not correct because this does exist. It's just not real. It definitely exists, but it's just not real. And this is where, huh? This is where I as a jiva live. I live in here, in this unreal existent reality. (laughs) Unreal reality. (laughs) (laughs) So what? I need to understand both. That's what he says here. Self-knowledge is knowing both the field and the knower. Not only one. Not saying, this is not real. Uh, When we say this is the not-self, called the anatma, we just mean that, but that's not this, in the sense that uh, you are free of this, and therefore you should not identify with this. That doesn't mean this isn't you. It just means that you're not this. I mean that you're this and you're... Sorry. It, it just means that what? This is you, but you're not this. So we have to tell you this is not self until it breaks your identification with it and you understand that it's an object and that me, the subject, is free of the object. And then you see that what you you know, formally said was not this is actually you too but you're free of it mm-hmm. understand so so I have to know both that's, that's moksha don't just say, no, that, that's not real I will now I will, that doesn't, don't say that doesn't exist and therefore I shouldn't study it yes, it's not real what do we mean by real, not real? <clears throat> means what? just changes That's all. But I've got to deal with that mortal changing part of myself. Hmm. I have to deal with it. I have to come to terms with it. I have to learn to love it and accept it as it is and not have a problem with that part of myself. Otherwise, I'm just living in denial. The Neo-Teachings, the Neo-Advaita Teachings, there, it's all denial. It started with Krishnamurti. It actually went before that. But J. Krishnamurti said, that, you know, there's no, no teacher, there's no teaching, there's no this, there's no that, blah, 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 blah. There's only this. Uh, so, uh, everybody said, well, since it isn't there, since there's really none, there's none of that, then I won't be bothered with that. I'll just try to transcend this and get up to here. Well, that's not how it works. (laughs) You've always got this part of yourself and you have to come to terms with it. It's the idea. And how do you, he's going to see, but I will now briefly discuss the nature of the field, the modifications that take place in it, and where it comes from. I will also explain the knower and its powers. It is, and how are we to know it? He said up here, how are you supposed to know this? What's the means? Of, what is, how are you to know it? He said, it is to be known through the mantras of the Vedic seers. That means Vedanta. It's to be known through the science of consciousness, or Vedanta. In many ways. It means that we have many teachings, what to reveal this same fact. And it is indeed explained by the sentences on, of the sutras on Brahman, which reveal it clearly by implication and reason. Implication and reason means you can't directly discuss it. <laughs> you can't say it's this or that directly. You have to use the implied meaning of the words to what? To reveal it. So, and these teachings reveal it indirectly by removing ignorance, by taking the implied meaning of the word. But you can't say the self is... The self is what? If you say it's consciousness, then what, what, what's the implied meaning of that? If you just say it's consciousness. The implied meaning is that it's unconsciousness, isn't it? If you say it's unconsciousness, that implies that it's consciousness. Like if you say to me, and so therefore what? You can't say it's consciousness because it implies... Uh, that it could be something else but it couldn't be something else because there's nothing other than it so we have to use this this particular method to what reveal it that's called implication like for example if you meet me in the morning and you say hi james you look really good today <laughs> 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 huh? Now, how am I supposed to take that? You look really good today means what? You didn't look good yesterday, right? <laughs> you didn't look so good yesterday, you look good today. See, so a direct statement about the self isn't going to work. Uh, we have to look at the implied meaning of the implied meaning of that statement is you looked lousy yesterday. Hmm? So huh? because the self is beyond words. It's anirvachaniya. It means it's inexplicable. There's no word that you can apply to that, that to the self. All words only apply to objects in the field here, but no word applies to this. Hmm? So we have to use words in a very clever way and use the implied meaning of the words to, uh, to get at what this is. If you say it's consciousness, then you might just believe it's consciousness, whatever that is to you. So what we have to do is remove your doubt about what it is, without saying exactly what it is. <laughs> Understand? So, it's uh, it's difficult to teach this. So he said, and what 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 are what is this field? Well, we discussed this on on uh, all. For the last week, we discussed it. The field is what? The five subtle elements, air, fire, water, earth, and ether. Ego, intellect, and the causal body. The ten senses. And what? And their objects. The five gross elements. These these gross elements that you see here, the material elements, what? are preceded by five subtle elements. They're called Tadmatras and they stand alone. That's on the subtle body level. Hmm. They stand alone means what? They haven't yet combined and recombined to make the material elements. I didn't ex- explain that. It's not taught in the Gita. In the P'tatwa Bodh and other texts, Panchadasi, they explain how it is that these five subtle elements mix up and become the gross material elements that you see. It's a very beautiful theory. It's called panchikarana. The mutual uh, com, the splitting or dividing and recombination of the material elements, starting from the space element down to the earth element. So he says the field is what? The subtle elements, ego, intellect, and the unmanifest. The unmanifest is the causal body, the ten senses, and the five elements. The chart. <laughs> chart all the objects those are the objects and what and now and understand this this is very important He's going to say it again when we turn the page and then in a couple few verses he's going to he's going to emphasize this point and i've emboldened it over there he says modifications that take place in the field the field it modifies it changes okay what are the modifications that take place in the field? Desire, aversion, pleasure, pain, the physical body, and cognition, experience. Okay? Yeah. Yes, Ehud? Why is the physical body considered a modification? Isn't it part of... Of the field that is being modified no it's a modification it's just a just ever-changing uh, ever-changing matter determined by by karma because the elements are all the time shifting yeah 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 it's just the elements and their elements are continually changing they're continually mixing all the time every object every material object has all five of the elements in it space air fire, water earth in various proportions. And those are always shifting and mixing. And the body is constantly changing. It's a modification. Isn't your body always changing? Look at it. <laughs> That's, we're always worried about it, huh? <laughs> you never know when what, when one of those changes is not going to be to your liking. <laughs> See? so So all those things are modified. Now, he said... This is very interesting, and here's where the values come in for, for Realization. This is an important chapter because it, it, these are called jnana, or value, knowledge, and they're, they're not, we're not talking self-knowledge here. We're talking knowledge that what is helpful to gain self-knowledge. So if you understand these values and you live these values, then what? It'll be very easy for you to realize yourself. So, he's uh, including them in this t- topic of knowledge. It's very important. This is the sadhana you have to do. This is the work. I told you, like in the modern teachings, they don't talk about values, do they? They don't discuss values. They're afraid to do that. You know why they're afraid to do that? Because most spiritual people, modern spiritual people, don't like religion. They're actually religious people, but they don't like religion. And, and, and so they've thrown the baby out with the bath. With religion, they threw out the topic of values. Religious people are very interested in values. Hmm? Because value, values are everything. What you value is everything. If you value the right thing and your values are in harmony with Dharma and the truth, you're going to be happy... And if your values are what? Are not in harmony with the truth, then what? You're going to be miserable. So, I need to examine what my values are. I have to take what we call a fearless moral inventory. You've heard that in AA, the 12-step program. One of the steps in in the the 12-step program, an incredibly successful program, is what? A fearless moral inventory we say fearless why do we say fearless because I have a lot of values that I don't want to examine because that are not good for me but I don't want to look at them because I once if I understand what they are I might have to get rid of them and that would cause me to change my habits and I'm getting some sort of pleasure out of those bad habits that have flown from these that have uh, evolved from these bad values because all my habits and all my behavior flows from my values. What I what I value, what I think is important. So I need to examine my values. That's big sadhana. important. Problem, maybe the most important sadhna. And we have and this. Isn't the only place where it's dealt with. You're going to see it's dealt with a little later. And earlier, he's also talked about values. When we talked about accommodation, for example, accommodation is an incredible value, renunciation extremely important value ability to the willingness to let go of things, not to hang on to things uh, whatever, not just material things there's a story uh, about this uh, these two uh, these two sadhus monks were walking along and there was a woman taking a bath and she got in the river she'd taken her sari off and she was washing herself up and the river swept her away and one of the monks ran down the bank jumped in swam out right pulled her up and then carried her up the shore and put her down on the on the on the on the bank and then then he walked up the bank put on his you know to his friend and they walked down the road to the town they were going to, to do. They weren't weren't saying anything. They just walked on. And finally, and, and the, the the man who saved this woman, uh, noticed that his companion was was really quiet and sort of and not friendly at all. He noticed that the fellow was was really quite angry and cranky. But so he didn't want to talk to him because you know he. he he didn't know why he was like that. He just respected his privacy. So then, they got to the town where they were, where, where their destination. And the, finally, the fellow just, his companion says, he said, said, how could you do that? That was disgusting. You're a monk. You touched that woman, her naked body. You know, because... Sannyasis are not meant to touch women. It you know, might excite some kind of lust in them, and they don't want to have those kind of feelings. So, this one monk was just very, very, very angry at him. And, and the, the other monk said to him, He said, Well, uh, that's true. He said, But I put her down on the, on the river bank and you've carried her all the way to town. Huh? in his mind huh? he is all the time thinking of that naked woman all the way down to town and this fellow said I left her on the riverbank I was thinking about other things huh? so he, this second fellow had no value for renunciation so something happens it disturbs you and you keep what? you keep dwelling on it you don't let it go the idea so that's renunciation so those values we talked about earlier now here's, a, here's another set of values that uh, including accommodation it comes back here as you see he says of other than the following all else is ignorance that is if you have these values you're fine then you've got some kind of knowledge any other value than these is called ignorance it means what it will take you away from your goal uh, fortitude fortitude means sticking to it courage you need a lot of courage for this spiritual path because why? there's a lot of setbacks so you need to have that courage that to go forward you're, you're forced to look at a lot of things you don't want to look at it takes a lot of uh, a lot of courage to look at those parts of yourself that you don't like and accept those parts of yourself that you don't like a lot of courage. So absence of conceit. A conceited person is somebody, huh? Who maybe has a certain qualification, but thinks that, that what? That wonderful thing belongs to him and her. I'm so intelligent. God, am I so spiritual? Jesus. There's never been anybody quite as spiritual as I am. I'm the just the greatest Vedanta teacher alive. Huh? Conceited. Yes, maybe you have some qualification, but what? You don't give it to what? Ishwara. You don't say, oh, that's all Ishwara's Well, what do you do? You think it belongs to you. You think you're special. I'm so intelligent. I'm so powerful. I'm so wonderful. I'm so sexy. I'm so this. I'm so that. That's called conceit. Absence of that. If, you have, if you're conceited, it's not going to work for you spiritually. So look at that and see if see what your feelings are about yourself on this topic absence of hypocrisy you know do what you say you're going to do you know, live your words right? if you're going to do it uh, if you say it if you think it do it don't say one thing and do something else Don't say one thing to make others feel good and then go ahead and do something altogether different. Or to make you feel good about yourself in front of others, you say, I'm going to do this and then do something else. That's called a hypocrite. It means you're full of fear. And that value will just agitate your mind. Hypocrites are always what? Are always disturbed people. Because their actions and their words don't line up. So they're continually having to tell lies what? to justify their situation, to justify themselves so. harmlessness don't want to hurt anybody be careful what you say nobody, probably nobody in this room physically injures anybody else but you can certainly injure people by your words and you could injure yourself by bad thoughts. So you need to what? Look at your, look at your thinking. And a bad thought about somebody else does, isn't injure them. <laughs> the word can injure them because the word goes through space and hits on their subtle body and what can cause a, an emotional injury to them. But a bad thought injures you. Accommodation, we discussed that. Straightforwardness. That means what? All lined up, thought, word, and deed. It's very similar to hypocrisy. Absence of hypocrisy and straightforwardness are basically the same value. Be a straight shooter. Just huh? <laughs> line up your body, your mind, your intellect, and yourself all in a straight line. Don't don't allow yourself to be crooked. You know, they, they, uh, the word in America for a criminal is a crook. A crook means a person who's crooked. Huh? They're doing one thing, they're saying something else. They're always wiggling and cooking like a snake. They just never, huh? Never straight. So this is an important, extremely important value. Um, reverence for the teacher. If you have, if you have a teacher, show respect. Uh, Cleanliness. Oh, you know, that's called purity. Um, This is a very, very interesting one. It's defined as willingness to share any thought you have with anybody else. If you've got a bunch of thoughts that you don't want people to know, you want your privacy, huh? Huh? I don't want to tell you this. It means what? Those thoughts are impure thoughts. And you don't huh? and you don't want others to know them because then they will think you're impure. So what do you do? You hide those thoughts. A pure person is somebody who is totally transparent. You ask them a question about themselves and it's just the same as asking a question about the weather. They have nothing to hide. They have zero, nothing to hide. There's no secret stuff going on inside them that would embarrass them or what? Or get, get you all excited. That's purity. Think about it. That's a beautiful um, quality. Cleanliness, that cleanliness means what? Not physical cleanliness. Yes, you should be physically clean. But we're talking mental purity here. Steadfastness. Again, that's like fortitude. Sticking to it. Once you get get the idea, once you've made a resolution to know who you are, once you've committed yourself to the spiritual path, then stick to it. Don't go on and off and go here and there and go doing this and that. Jumping around and so forth and so on. Once you've decided, stick to it. Go forward. The idea. Self-discipline. Hmm? Means what? You've got to... The, the, the discipline has to come from within yourself. A lot of people go to, to you know, like yoga ashrams and stuff. What? To get discipline. <laughs> well, that's good. Because at least they're trying to discipline themselves in a way. But it's not good either because when they're not in a situation, in a job or in, a, in, a, in some kind of situation, when they're not in that type of situation, they can't what? Maintain discipline. So when you get up in the morning, unless you have a structure, unless you have a job to do or a routine to do, you can't maintain discipline. So huh? this is what? Self from within. I've been studying the Scripture for 45 years. Nobody told me to do it. I do it wherever I am, anywhere in the world, irrespective of my situation or circumstances. In the hospital, when I was having my open heart, I was reading the Scripture. I stick to my discipline. I stick to my. What, I, I'm motivated. No matter what, stick to it every day. You know, that that's perseverance. You will succeed if you have that value. Oh no no that's not working today. Sorry, I don't feel like doing this today. No no no, I'm gonna do that. No no no, no just discipline yourself. I I uh, I used to be one of these uh, party people. You know, sleep in late and stay up all night. And then when I met my guru and I really got into uh, spiritual life, I he got up every morning at four. Three thirty, four, four thirty in the morning, and I got in that habit, and I still wake up early every day. I don't have to. I don't have a job or anything. I don't. I don't have to do this teaching either, but it's a great discipline. Hmm? Going to bed reasonably, getting up at a certain time. I'm a writer. I write, as you know, a lot, and and in the early morning hours, it's the best time. There's no thoughts around. You're fresh. Your mind is rested. Uh, and you just boom, you can just do your sadhana, whatever it is. My sadhana is writing scripture, and uh, so a discipline. I'm motivated from within. I don't have to. I don't have to put the alarm clock on and oh no, I can't do it today. Put the snooze button on, then switch off the alarm. No, get up and do it. Want to do it? Have that sense of discipline. So, uh, dispassion with reference to sense objects that's obvious Uh, absence doesn't mean you shouldn't sin but sin intelligently (laughs) absence of pride why why are you not proud because everything belongs to Ishwara so understanding that everything belongs to Ishwara what will remove your sense of pride this is not by my grace that I'm wonderful it's by Ishwara's grace that I'm wonderful so I'm not all puffed up and proud. <coughs> Clearly seeing the defects of pain, birth, death, old age, and disease. Well, it's not hard to see those defects, close, <laughs> is it? <laughs> <laughs> Absence of ownership. Why? Because you know everything belongs to Ishwara, that's why. They don't own anything. So if you have that feeling that you don't own anything, nothing is yours. Right? That it's all Ishwara's, then you're what? Then you're not going to be clinging to things, are you? You're not going to be worrying about losing things or getting things because it all doesn't belong to you. It's like being here in the ashram; nothing belongs to you. Right? How can you say this is my chair? It belongs to the ashram. Huh? And the same with everything here. Everything here just belongs to Ishwara. Well, how does it... Uh, that room, I can't say that's my room where I'm living. That belongs to the ashram. It's not my room. Uh, so, or my body. <laughs> your, this isn't your body. Who, who who made the body, Ishwar. So, that uh, that value for what? Not owning things. It means what? If you think you own things and you're possessive, it means what? You're insecure. If you're insecure, your mind is going to be... huh? shaky. If your mind is shaky, how are you going to what? Discriminate. So, see how these values all work? They all calm your mind. They all make your mind clear and still and steady and capable of discrimination. That's why they're called knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, absence of excessive affection regarding family, sex, and home. That, that, now, what does that mean? What, why it says it? of excessive affection. You should have affection for your family, your friends, your home, and so forth. It's normal, it's natural to have affection for these things. But what? Not excessive. These parents that have a child and that it's just the most boring, awful thing. And all they do is talk about their stupid kid all day long when you go to their house. Okay, five, yes, you gave birth to a genius. We know that. Yes, that's the next coming Christ. Yes, we're very happy to hear about that. But shut up after five minutes. No, all morning long, all they do is talk about their stupid kid. <laughs> They love their little baby, just, uh oh, and they think you love their little baby like that. (laughs) They have no idea, you know, they're just obsessed with what? It's Beshwar's baby, yes, it's a beautiful baby. Okay, let's get on with the topic here. Let's do, find something interesting to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, never mind. I know I'm a bad person but it's Ishwar's fault evenness of mind regarding gain and loss we talked about that unswerving devotion to me yep. love of solitude not just physical solitude but, but inner solitude inner quiet all these values will create a sense of inner peace if you cultivate these values, if you work on these and cultivate them, you will feel real peaceful and alone inside. And, and that's good. Not lonely. You won't feel lonely. You'll feel alone. And that's great. You know why? Because you're always alone. Because there's only what? There's only one of us here, isn't there? We're all one. Alone means we're all one. When you're with somebody else, you're not, you're still yourself, aren't you? You're always with yourself. Even when you're surrounded by a million people, you're still alone. You're still you. Nobody ever gets inside you and becomes you. You're always alone. Why? Nobody can. Because what? There's, There's only one of us here. So that solitude is what a sign of that, a symbol of that and cultivating that gets you to appreciate your aloneness, not your loneliness. This is not we're not talking lonely here. A lot of people think right being alone means you're lonely. It's lovely to be alone. it's great to be alone. Uh, indifference to social life, it doesn't mean what? It doesn't mean you don't have a social life. It just means you're just not, you know, you're indifferent to it. Okay, you want to go out for a beer and watch the movies? Okay, let's go. You go and watch the movies once in a while. If they call you up the next night, you say, no, I don't think so. That was enough. I've seen the movies. I'll go to a movie once a month with you or every couple of months. You want to do something? Yes, sure, we'll do it. But uh, it's all right. I'm indifferent. I've got other better things to do. So, you not avoid social contact that you don't seek it either. You're indifferent to it. And constant pursuit of self-knowledge. So, those... Oh, I just need to keep, you know, these are another checklist on the values level. (laughs) The self... Verse 12. The self, pure awareness beginningless, limitless, neither existent as an object nor non-existent is what is to be known. It's not, huh? Yourself is not an object. What? Why? Do we have to say this again? <laughs> every Every chapter says this about ten times, right? <laughs> Why do they keep saying that? Because in my mind I keep wanting to try to get this self. I keep wanting to try to experience this self. This desire to experience something is just a killer. So that's why he's pointing out here, this is not an object. Please, don't try to get yourself. (laughs) Just try to understand that you are the self, and see what that means. But stop longing for some experience. I said many times uh, it's not an event. It's not something that's going to happen. Enlightenment's not something that's going to happen. You are the light. (laughs) You are the light. That means what? Your consciousness. You're aware. You're shining. Your self-shining. You shine on your own. You don't need something to happen to make you sh- shine. You shine before things happen. You shine while things are happening and you shine after things are happening. You're self-shining. So what that means it's not an object. And it's not non-existent. Why does they say that? Because, because people say if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. <clears throat> these are the these are the materialists the scientists and the intellectuals and some of the buddhists that i uh, that's that was i think the 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 statement behind the buddha's statement that there there is no self anatma hmm? now whether he meant that, it, that this was the not self or whether he meant there is no self or whether he meant there is no se- second uh, separate self i don't know we don't, nobody seems to really know what he said because it was you know, 500 years after he left that they wrote down these things he said, and by that time there had been plenty of opportunity to misunderstand what he said. But it, it, because you can't see it or smell it and taste it and touch it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. All the arguments against Vedanta are basically that. They're experiential arguments. Because I can't smell it, see it, taste it and touch it, it doesn't exist. The only thing that does exist is what you can't see, smell, taste, and touch. The smells and the sights and the sm- all of those sensations—those are not really existent; they're apparently existent. So you're trying huh? by saying it doesn't exist means what? You're trying to verify something that what can't be verified by your senses. You're the one that verifies what you think and feel and smell and taste and touch. Consciousness, you is what you are. What verifies it? Not it's not verified by what? By your senses. And people say, "Well, if I can't smell it, taste it, touch it, feel it, doesn't exist." Well, they're wrong. What does yourself feel like, by the way? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Can you? What do people say that to me, Ram. You know that Vedanta, that's good, but you're very intellectual. That's very intellectual. That's all just ideas. It's just talk, Ram. I want to feel consciousness. I want to smell consciousness, taste it. It's got. To, if I want, it's got to be real. Well tell, me what, well, tell me what consciousness feels like, will you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel like anything. <laughs> you can't feel it. You are it. How, how can you touch yourself? You can touch something that isn't yourself, but you can't touch yourself. You can't smell yourself. No, that's not yourself. You know, your, you know, your mother. Your mother said, "You stink." No, no, Mom, I don't stink. My armpit stinks. That's my body that stinks. No, you stink. No, you don't stink. You don't smell like anything, huh? It's, yeah. How how are you gonna? How are you going to taste... Yeah, stinks. <laughs> how, how are you going to taste yourself? Huh? You're not going to... understand? <laughs> but, that's what to be known, and then it says, but, but, this is very cool, everywhere are its hands and feet. That means you can taste it. You can smell it. Dirty feet. He didn't take a bath at the shuar's feet or what? Or the self. But what? The self is not the feet. The feet are the self, so I get to see the self, smell the self, taste and touch. Every time you eat food, what are you eating? The self. Yeah. Satya mitya. Every I love these birds. Everywhere its hands and feet. Everywhere are it has eyes that see minds that think and mouths that speak. It listens everywhere. It dwells in everything and pervades everything. Though free of the senses it shines through every sense organ. You smell because what? You're shining through the organ. The organ can't what? Smell you, see you. You shine through the eyes. You shine through the ears and pick up sounds. You shine through the skin and feel the air around you and touch objects because you're shining, you're enlightening. What? The sense organ. The organ can't see me. I see through the organ. Your feet won't move, and that's what? You shine through those feet and give them the shakti, the energy to move. Understand. Though free of the senses, it shines through every sense organ. It is connected to nothing, but it supports everything. (laughs) The chair is not connected to the... I mean, the wood's not connected to the chair, is it? but the wood supports the chair doesn't it the ocean's not connected to the wave the waves con- it supports the waves the waves connected to the ocean remove the waves and the ocean still remains doesn't it the ocean's unchanged it stands apart from the three gunas he's programming us for the next chapter yet stands apart from the three gunas, yet it enjoys them all. The three gunas means your what? Your experience. Subjectively, it means your states of mind, and objectively, it means what? The world of objects outside. This self self, to be known is within all beings, yet is outside them too. Well, that means what? It's like, like this, pa- this paper. Uh, take space. Space is what? is within the paper, isn't it? There's space from here to here, and there's space from here here, right? So it's within the paper, and it's what? It's outside the paper too. means what? It pervades everything. There's, if you can understand space, you can understand the self. There's no place where you aren't. Tell me something. Tell me, so, me some place or some time when you don't exist. Huh? Some place or some time. There's only two things in maya. Space and time. So, is there some place in maya... Or else, if there's any other place beside Maya, then where you don't exist, no, n- nobody's. Well, good. You are, then you guys are enlightened. <laughs> yeah, there is no place where you don't exist. You can't say there's anything exists unless you're present to say that it doesn't exist. Can you? How would you know of the non-existence of something unless you were there to what witness its non-existence? So huh? you you pervade everything. It it is within all beings, yet it's outside them too. It moves without moving. What? talking about here? Excuse me, sir. Have you gone off your rocker here? What's wrong with you? It moves without moving. What makes it seem to move? Maya. Maya, huh? Filters consciousness, expresses consciousness in such a way that consciousness seems to move. It's totally unmoving. It never goes anywhere. But when Maya is operating, it starts to change and dance, play and move, and go here and there and so forth and so on. Too too subtle to be perceived as what? As an object, it's the nearest of the near. What's more near what's what's closer to you than you? Is there anything closer to you than you? (laughs) It's you. It's you. It's me. (laughs) There's nothing closer to me than me. There's not two me's. Is there another me? Is there another me watching you and saying you're you? Huh? Where's the other me that's saying I'm me? I'm saying I'm me because I'm the only me. There's nobody else but me. There's only one self. It's non-dual. There's not two selves that can... I'm the closest thing there is. I'm so close I'm not even close. (laughs) There's no space here. There's no time here in, in you. There's no distance. Maya just what? makes it look like there's distance. Why are the glasses here? Because I take the position of the body. When I relinquish the body position and look at it from awareness's point of view, what happened to the glasses? Boom! They collapse right into me. Not physically collapse. My sense of space disappears and I understand that there's no difference between what? The object and the subject. They're the nearest of the near. They're me. The objects are me. It says It is invisible but it seems, it is indivisible but it seems to be made up of parts. You can't <laughs> cut it up yet what? We got all these parts here. Maya makes it change, and Maya what? Chops it up into all these things, into these twenty-three, twenty-four 24 cosmic principles. And then all the other just keeps dividing, dividing, dividing down into billions and trillions of little bits. None of which are real. Which appear, but when you actually look into them, you can't find anything there, any substance there. Just like when you look into the shirk, You can't find anything but consciousness. You keep investigating the parts. Each part breaks down to a finer and finer and finer part till you get to what? The source of the the object. Is it a wave? Is it a particle? Where is it coming from? Space. And then how do I get rid of the space? Space is what? A part. (laughs) I just understand that what? You can't have space without consciousness. In other words, space evolved out of consciousness. So what? Space disappears and now I'm left without any parts. Just understanding. Just understanding. It creates, sustains, and devours all beings. The light of lights. Light of lights means what? This intellect is a light, but what? This is the light of lights. Think of electricity. What's the, what's the light of lights, of this light? Electricity. <coughs> this is a light, but what? What's giving the light the power to, to, to illumine? Electricity. What's giving me the power to know? Consciousness. The light of lights. It is worth knowing. Why? Because it sets you free of what? Parts, objects, feelings, thoughts. It sets you free of everything. That's why it's worth knowing. It is knowledge, the means of knowledge, and the object of knowledge. It is present in the hearts and minds of all beings. I have now briefly explained the field, the knower. We just talked about the knower and the field, those two. And and what is to be known? What is to be known is what? Both of them together. That's moksha. Moksha is what? Satya and mitya. Knowledge of satya and mitya. There's nothing you can do about either one. All you can do is understand what they are. Then what he says. The one the one who understands this clearly is devoted to actual and is devoted to actualizing it okay that's the first stage is understanding it now what now i have to actualize it i have to like sit down and what work it out to to my own satisfaction till i'm sure that i'm a hundred percent convinced that i'm awareness now how do you do that what he said, "There's one bit of knowledge you should have here. <laughs> That's why i made it bold. You should also know that the field and the knower have no beginning. Why? They're both the same. Well, they're they're, they're both consciousness, but they're not exactly the same. They're both one. They're both eternal, but they're not the same. But uh, never mind that for right now." But what the important point is for those of us who are seeking the self, who are seeking freedom, the modifications taking place in the field are born out of the field alone. The things that what? That you experience belong not to you, they belong to what? The field. He said, remember he said earlier, huh? what does he say here? No, in the, I think it's verse 8. He said the modification of words were what? Desire, huh? aversion, pleasure, pain, so forth and so on. Those are modifications. Anything that you can experience does not belong to you. It belongs to the field. It belongs to what? Maya belongs to the apparent reality. This knowledge sets you free. If You can understand that. You won't identify anymore with any of these modifications that are taking place in you, these thoughts and feelings that are occurring in you. The field generates the physical body and its instruments. That means the physical body and what what belong to the field. They don't belong to awareness. They don't belong to you. The knower makes it possible to experience pleasure and pain. In other words, you can't experience pleasure and pain unless you know. And you can't know unless what? Unless you're conscious. And you can't be conscious unless you're consciousness. So, because the experiencer obtains in the experiencer... Obtains in the field. <laughs> the person that I think I am, that this, uh, this experiencer, that experiencer obtains in the field. It isn't up here. In other words, you're not an experiencing, uh, experiencer. You're the what? The witness of the experiencer. I take myself to be uh, an experiencer and I take all the things that happen to me to be experiences. But what he's saying here is the experiencer, the person that you think you are, huh is what? an object that appears in y- in your awareness in you. This, this is why you can this is why you can talk about yourself you're your experiencing entity. We're saying here, in this case, in that place, I, I, when I said self, I meant the experiencer, the person that you think you are. That person is not the same from one moment to the next, is it? Yes, sir. The, the process of witnessing the experiencer, isn't it the experience itself? No, it's not, witnessing is not a process. It's not a process. There's no, no change involved in witnessing. No. So witnessing is no experience? Witnessing is not an experience. Mm-hmm. That, well, I understand what you're saying. And, and It is, but it isn't. Let's put it that way. If you're this person, then witnessing is an experience. We call this the experiencing witness. Uh, the wit- the light that you're using here to what to witness is reflected awareness. remember yesterday we talked about uh, the difference between reflected awareness and pure awareness, and this person is what witnesses by the virtue of the reflection of awareness in the subtle body. so this is an experiencing witness, and this witness changes why because what? The three gunas cause the uh, your experience to change. And so, what you know and think and feel is always changing here. Isn't that right? Isn't that your own experience? What you know and think and feel is always changing. Whatever you experience is always changing, and you, the experiencer, is always changing. As the experiences change, you change. Whenever an experience happens, then you change. Another experience happens, you change. So this, this witness is always experiencing and changing. But there's another witness, the witness of the witness, we call that the non-experiencing witness or pure consciousness, pure original consciousness, and that witness doesn't change. That's not a process. That's not in time. And that's what you are, not this experiencer person. Okay? Thanks. Yeah, you bet. But the experiencer, he said, but it says, but the experiencer obtains in the field. Now, what's the implied meaning of that? You don't obtain in the field. The experiencer obtains in it, but the witness of the experiencer is outside of the field. It's something other than the field. It's the witness of the witness. A problem with a lot of these spiritual practices is it tries to split up the experiencing witness into us into an experiencer and, an, and an experienced objects. It tries to create an extra witness here in the subtle body. And, then, and that's good for getting some dis, 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 uh, dispassion toward objects. Hmm? A, lot of, a lot of teachings do this, Buddhism and so forth and so on. They try to separate the part, you know, separate the higher part of the witness from the objects and so forth, the experiencing witness. But then you have a big problem. So how am I going to get rid of this duality that I've created here between the subject and object in my mind? So rather than trying to, what, uh, split up your mind into a, a witness and witnessed objects, we're asking you to have look and, see, and, and understand that there's something already present that's witnessing your mind. It, you, you couldn't say you, you, you're experiencing unless you were aware that you were experiencing, could you? Huh? You couldn't say you're experiencing unless you're aware that you're experiencing. Now, it looks like the awareness is coming from the experiencing, doesn't it? It looks like you're aware because you're experiencing, but no, you're not aware because you're experiencing. You're experiencing because you're aware. Yeah, it it, would... (coughs) <coughs> to sort of say awareness is a witnessing so that's yeah that's pretty good awareness is a witnessing it is a witness yeah it is a witnessing but it's not a person because when you say it is a witnessing you could think that that was a particular kind of state that belonged to an, an individual a witnessing state as opposed to a not witnessing state. Right, so, but I understand what you mean. The meaning is correct. But the language is difficult. And if you use that kind of language, you need to explain it. Otherwise, people will get the wrong idea. Yeah. How, how do you know what you're experiencing? See the materialists think that, that 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 oh yeah sorry gotta quit it's no. time, time for, oh my god the time is running out uh, let's just finish this one idea how how do you know uh, what you're experiencing okay or let's put it this way is experience conscious. But what the sci- scientific people, the evolutionists, those people who believe that, that what consciousness evolved out of matter, thinks that intelligence or consciousness came from what? From experience. From material elements, what? Rubbing together. Combine, huh? I don't know how they got it. Huh? I don't know how they're go- they figure that you can get consciousness out of matter, but... But they seem to think that what? Experience creates intelligence or consciousness. But experience isn't conscious. If you had a big bang, if you had the big bang, and you got the world, and then you got gases, and the gases solidified and mixed and became material elements, and then you got water and all these various things, and then what? you had this big cosmic soup of matter, then how, how it's just matter, and we know very well that matter is inert. How are you going to get consciousness out of matter? Because it doesn't have matter in it. It doesn't have consciousness in it. You can get consciousness out of matter if matter's al- if consciousness is already present when matter appears. Then it's possible for what to consciousness to appear in matter. But if matter's the the primary principle and matter's inert, which which science knows, then there's no way you can get consciousness out of it. Is there? How are you going to do that? You can't. So experience is just material. Experience is just what? Subtle energy moving. It's just energy. That's what experience is. It's gunas. It's, it's matter. Now, and it doesn't know anything. All, you have all these experiences. Do your experiences tell you what they're experiencing? Your, your experience doesn't say, oh, excuse me, this is what I'm doing now. And this is what I mean. Does, huh? Does your experience talk to you like that? <laughs> it can't talk. It's not conscious. It can't give you any information. You, what do you do? You interpret. You know wh- what you're experiencing. And you're always experiencing this person called Jim or Joe or Sally or Pete or Mary or whatever. It's not that Jim is experiencing me. I'm experiencing Jim. So I can tell you everything about Jim. But Jim can't tell you anything about me. Because Jim doesn't know me. Jim's just an inert manifestation of me. So the jiva is not conscious. That's correct. The jiva is apparently conscious. Is <laughs> not actually conscious. Only consciousness is conscious. The jiva is known by you, by consciousness. That's correct. Good thinking, our guy. That's why I point tried to point this out yesterday in this reflection theory. The reflection teaching. It's not a theory. It's... The teaching. You could call it a theory, but in the reflection teaching, I'm pointing out that the moon can't illumine the sun, can it? Huh? The moon doesn't have enough reflective power to what? To reflect its the light of the sun back to the sun. Because the sunlight gets absorbed in the reflecting medium, and what? It only reflects a small little, huh? little penumbra, a little area around the moon is what? Is illumined. But that light won't bounce back all the way to the sun so that the moon can see the sun. In the same way, this jiva, this mind, is what? It's consciousness, but it's reflected consciousness. And it only reflects part way back. It only there's only a, a rudimentary sense or sensation that there is some other light there, but it can't see that other light. So in that way, this jiva huh, can never know that, can never see that. But huh, but you, awareness, sees the jiva, don't you? You see Haggai. You can tell me everything about Haggai at any moment. Why? Because you're something other than Haggai. Your awareness. Just, it's so simple. But it's so subtle that it's hard to... The only way you, you, you get it is to get it, just to understand this. Okay, time for a break and then we'll soldier on. Thank you for listening to the talk of James Watts on the Bhagavad Gita. Recorded at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hannover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga vityaorg